Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity. All right, I am Mr. Curiosity. Another episode free for your ear canal. And uh, I may sound different today because I had this case of bronchitis. And I'm still congested, even though I'm getting better. But I can't hear myself speak fully like I normally would. And that makes my guest happy. I can tell he's enjoying my pain. What did you say, Joe? I can't hear what you're saying, mate. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to remind you, don't make me laugh too hard because that makes me cough. Cough Well, we're a good distance (laughs) apart here, so I think I'm safe. (laughs) And if you're thinking, I hear an Englishman. It's Paul Epson! Oh, yes, an Englishman indeed. Well, listen, listen. I've been here 32 years. And I've been in England, well, I was in England for 30 years. So what does that make me then? Well, wait a minute. That tells me two things. So, yes, half and half. Half and half, yep. But also, I didn't realize you were that old. Not that that's that old. You look fantastic. I'll even say sexy. You've been very kind, yeah. I'll even say (laughs) sexy. So it's Paul Epson. You know him from, um, well, a couple things. Number one, he's our home and backyard guy. He's on the show every week. Uh, But we're going to get into the other things, like you have this business in the area, you've been there for decades, too? Oh, a long time, yeah. yeah. So we'll get to all that later. I want to start off with way back in 1954? Now you're making me too old there. Oh, 56 I, is when 50, I was born. Okay, I thought you said, uh, okay, so you're exactly 10 years old. I'm I am 63. 63, gotcha. Oh. 64 this year in October. I guess I misheard your half and half. So it's 1956, and a baby is born where? I was born in central London. Now, I used to say... I was born, people would say, where were you born? Central London. Where were in central London? I used to say, next to London Zoo. But no one knows where London Zoo is. I was going to say, I don't know. What is the closest landmark? It's kind of a funny one. Because you remember the Beatles Abbey Road album? Yes. You remember they're going across what they call a zebra cross- crossing? It's a walk, you know, yes. a striped walkway. They're all walking across that. Yeah. I was born 100 yards up the road. Well, wait, 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 back up. I thought that with their crossing is Abbey Road. That is Abbey Road. And then you're saying what is there next to it? This uh, the hospital. The hospital of St. John's and Elizabeth. Saint and you Elizabeth. were right there. Right there. Up not, until... not when they recorded. That was 1956. No, no, no. I'm talking about you were there, living there up until you were... <laughs> no, I wasn't there. I was born there. Oh, okay. Born so there. Let's not See, get too we're, we're, the, the story... I lived out in the sticks up North London then, which is a, a, a stain on my thing. Because a, a North London and a South London, a Londoner are two different beasts. See, I don't so know. So most of my time was south of the river. Well, we talk a bit more like this, you know what I mean? Well, well, I got to say this, first of all, because now you have me really curious. Number one, you're my only English friend. Did you say friend? Oh, of course we are. We we go back back years and years and years. Yeah, I must say this, to be honest, everyone. Paul and I worked together briefly 20 years ago, and then they took you away from me. They separated us. Yes. So I kind of know them, but I don't. This is kind of like a little, it's it's a reunion. Of our past. Well, our hair looks the same. Well, I remember like, thinking this it. guy, he, people still say to me, like, that guy's weirder than you, or he's no, like no, you. No, they or couldn't he, possibly say that. They Joe. say There's that absolutely to me. no way that. So I'm like, I need this connection in my life. But anyway, so you're, what's your, what are your parents doing in uh, England? No, my, both my parents are dead. They had 10 children, which was enough to finish anybody up. Ten of, I've got six brothers, Back three then. sisters. Yeah. But They're what all, were they doing then? I mean. Oh, my dad was, a, my dad was what they called a, a medical officer of health. Each of the London boroughs. In those days, you had, uh, you know, contagious um, sicknesses. You know, had smallpox out there. Okay. You had all kinds of nasty infectious diseases. And each region had to have, it was a doctor. You know, he was a, a GP for a long time. Is that right? And then he went into public health. So he was looking after the London borough of Bermondsey then. And also importing food 
and basically making sure health standards neighbors, all those health things that a local council should be looking after. So he is, I guess you can say, an English highbrow. Uh, he was a hardworking East Ender. From yeah, but well-educated, but academic extremely well guy. Extremely well-educated, yes. MD? MD, yep. And your mom? My mom, uh, no, my mom with 10 kids. <laughs> I was going to say, what? you're making me I'm laugh. Not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying poor thing had to work hard because we weren't the easiest of kids. Yeah, well, I can We're imagine. All ten- We're all, you know, it was just, uh, it, was, it was a nightmare for us to visit other family members because 10 kids, well, no, it was never 10 because it was separated over many years, but a lot oh would my, arrive. That, I mean, you hear stories of how many children people used to have. Not that you're that much older than me, but you were probably the tail end of your parents. Yeah, but you have to understand. Of when they used to just have a lot of kids. You have to understand. This is England. This is not America where you have land and you've got plenty of food. This is England after the war. <laughs> no one has 10 kids. Oh, so that was, fr- that was fairly any, rare? Oh, I any see. Any other family had 10 kids. So my dad would buy these cars and then he'd get a body uh, coachwork guy to cut the back off and put an extension on. And we had these huge, like, you know, Herman Monster type vehicles. Come on. To our right. Yes, yes. Unbelievable. But this so, is excellent. There you go. So uh, I wanted to tell you about the bell. I forgot to mention that. If ever I, Because I uh, am a, a rogue gentleman, okay. if I say something inappropriate or ask you something that you feel uncomfortable, oh, excellent. you just hit that and I shut my fat head. Excellent. You like that? Yeah, I do like that. Here? Yeah. So can I practice it? <laughs> yep. Just make sure it's and working. And then I just shut my fat head and it's <laughs> over. All right. So you're born. You have. T- what, where are you on the line? I'm going to guess you're somewhere I, in the middle. I know I have two younger brothers and that's it. Uh, brother John, who's two years uh, younger than me, and Brother Phil, who was uh, a little bit late, born in 63, I think. And how, uh, um, I, I can't wait to hear, and this answers both questions. How did you leave, and are all the siblings still there? Yes, they're all back in England. They kind of live around the southeast corner, sort of a London southeast, the soft south, as the northerners would call it. I don't know how American this statement is to a guy who grew up in this area, but when I hear of a guy from England, London, grew up, was born at least near Abbey Road, you are like a A freak of nature? No, no, the opposite. Uh, A unicorn. No, that's Sean chirping in the background. I love it. No, a celebrity. No. Like a piece of of elitist here. Joe, I consider myself a very lucky man because I've done for the last 20-odd years something I love to do. Yeah, but how do you how do you how do you end up here? This is what I need oh, to know. Oh, it's a long story. That that one goes back. You got time? We got about <laughs> yeah. forty five minutes. Got, we got to get through your whole life oh, here. At no, I, I was uh, just like you. Back in England, I was a school teacher. No, I was teaching. Yeah, seriously. I'm actually qualified as a, a Pennsylvania teacher as well. Wait, back up more now. So through, uh, how does the educational system work? And uh, were you in London? You grew, you were born. You say north of but, London. But, no, we actually went to a seaside town. My dad, uh, we used to, he used to commute from there to London. Okay. And we were out in Margate or Cliftonville on Sea, they called it, which was actually a beautiful beach, except the water was about 50 degrees all year round. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> and to make it even worse, the beach was so gradual, you had to walk out about half a mile before you could get up to your kind of waist. Oh, goodness. So when you got yourself wet, you had that half mile run back, absolutely freezing to your beach towel. So that was quite an experience. That brings up a lot of points that here in America, especially here in our area, you go to the Jersey Shore. People don't realize how unique it is to have warm water, sunshine. Even though you guys are warmer in the winter, generally a warmer climate, the water is colder. 
always. Yeah, but they're made up with other things. You know, there were nicer uh, pubs. There were all kinds of fair things around there. They have oh, the, do- I'm not the donkeys comparing. on the beach I'm and whatever. I'm not comparing. No, it was bloody cold and awful. So yeah, there you they go. couldn't right. wait for the package holidays in the 60s for everyone to go to Spain and Italy. Is that right? <laughs> yes. So a lot of those old seaside towns were in, as still, still to this day, are actually in a little bit of uh, disrepair because the average Brit doesn't go to them anymore. Interesting. So my image also of the educational system in England is there, there's like different hierarchies, correct? Like, isn't there a little well, bit of where the commoners go? There's and a then... private sector and then there's a public sector. Okay, that's okay. it. And that's it. Yeah, the private sector can be those really expensive, rich. You like know, it is here, but I thought yeah, oh, yeah, that's more is... of a, the culture there, correct? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I mean, okay. uh, I think I think there's more variance in schools in England than there is in the U.S. I think the you know the typical comprehensive of a high school right. looks fairly. If you're in California or in Pennsylvania, it kind of looks the same. It's kind of organized more of the same than it is in England. You go to one region in England, it would be very different. Right? How they do it? And which except, one were you ex- at? Um, I was down south. I was sent to a little private Catholic grammar school. So now, a little higher school, society, a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You, he's, tr- he's trying to make me out to be a toff. No, I'm trying. <laughs> oh, I, I don't say, know, Joe, you seem like such a great. No, you this. seem like a great guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, uh, well, I have to say, look, being at the bottom end of a big family, yeah, you don't get a lot of attention. That individual. Now, Paul, it's time to read. Tonight we're going to yes, read out the story. Yes. So we were just her- more herded around. So we're more of a kind of a. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you didn't get a new car and a pony no, for all your birthdays? All no, we didn't. That but, but that meant me I was a little bit slow at school when I was at the uh, what they call the elementary stage. Well, I wasn't a great reader and whatever. Okay. But as soon as I, um, I got into this uh, grammar school, when at the age of uh, eleven, they, they call that the kind of a secondary level. In okay. My reading picked up. I started loving learning, absolutely loving it. I did very well. In fact, all the way through my high school career, I was first in class. Ooh. Can you believe that? No, I definitely believe so, that. And then are. you had... But mind you, it was a very small school, so let's get it uh, so was, no, in proportion. Well, you know. not, how many graduating? <laughs> Three. No. No, right. no I, um, 100? 50, just under 100, probably, oh, okay. yeah, probably. So did you have desires to be an educator, you said? or Nope, nope. But I, how did that happen? I always wanted to be a forester. Somebody who looks after, manages forests, plants trees, grows trees, selects them, thins them out. Is that right? So at the age of 16, I hitchhiked all the way up to the north of England to the one horticultural, agricultural, and forestry college. And your parents didn't even know you were gone, right? I, I told them I was going to go and try and get into this college and whatever. Oh, but okay. They would say, you know, no, 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 no. I go to this college. But I don't meet, you send an application? I mean, why drive no, there? Why I, I, I said I just wanted to go and talk to the oh, guy. Oh, I see. And to see, get some see, information. Like, see if it's a possibility. And the guy was going to his office. And then the guy's office there I was speaking to has this great big map of Great Britain. So the British Isles, Ireland, Great Britain, Britain Ireland, Scotland, everywhere. And he says, look, I'm sorry to tell you this, but have a look at that northern part of Scotland, that little green mark. That's the only economic forestry we're doing in Great Britain at the moment. If you become a forester, you're one of about three or four people. You'll be an indentured servant, which is almost a slave. You won't be paid much. You'll be in a uh, not your house, and it's not an easy life. So, 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 so much for the job of prospect, right? <laughs> so no career there. So I always wanted to work, you know, the gardening side. That was always there because, you know, coming from a big family after the Second World War, uh, economic downturn because all the money had been spent in the uh, government's coffers. Right. Houses, big houses were two a penny. So we always lived in these big old Victorian or Edwardian houses. 
that have the front garden, the back garden, the vegetable garden, the hot house, the cool house and whatever, and all these gardening vestiges of a, a bygone era. And as a kid, it was just absolutely fascinating. You know, four or five years old, playing with all these things. Yeah, so you're almost romanticizing about this. What's that secret garden kind of thing? There were areas you could discover. Oh, there was a pond Mm. there. You start scraping away the soil, you find a footpath, and then dig it out. You find all kinds. We found in our last house I was living in, a Second World War air raid shelter. They were buried and had two secret entrances. And one, if it could be um, entrance got blocked, you could get out the other one. And we had to excavate it all. But, See, uh, but were you and your family, your parents moved there. Is that yes. what you mean? Oh, okay. We weren't living individually. Well, I don't know what stage this was in your life. I don't know. They were we are jumping around a bit. Homes. We do tend to jump around a bit. But, uh, <coughs> Ooh, excuse my cough. So it wasn't in your family, no siblings, no father, mother. This was just your thing. The whole forestry, no, the, whole the fa- landscaping. No, no, the whole family were, I mean, were involved <coughs> in some kind of gardening, landscaping, businesses, uh, you know, ornamental pond construction. We went through it all. We looked after the parents' house. We got jobs. You know, when oh, we're, so you were, were all set. involved with this, like all the yeah. brothers hauling, yes. hauling, hauling shrubs. Yes, arborvitaes, digging holes. Yes, basically, arborvitaes. The common man bush. I yeah, know. Yeah, you looked down on me. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. That's all right. So, so then you thought I can't major in that. So you, you're what? So I, I decided. Well, one of the thing, I was going to go to university. I, I had my heart set on that. I wasn't sure what to do and whatever. So, um, but I didn't want my parents to pay for me. So in England, if they earned a certain amount, um, your grant from a government. Now you have to understand it. The day when I went to university, only ten percent of kids actually went to university. Yeah, but I think your dad making all this big money as a medical guy, he can handle it. Yeah, but when you spread it over ten yeah, kids right? and whatever, and it, no, it, 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 it was a public service job, so it wasn't as well okay. paid as a private doctor or something like that. But. Uh, you know, when you look at it, I decided that I was going to work for three or four years before I go to university. And that's what I did. I did all kinds of jobs. And in, when is it, 1970s, there were jobs a penny in London. You could go to a recruitment agency and they will say, how much time you got? Three weeks? All right, I'm going to send you up to a brewery in the north of London and you're going to be work as a temp in the distribution office. So is I did right? loads of jobs like that. It was a lot of fun. But it so certainly gives you an idea of what you want to do. And you're putting off college a little bit. Yes, but when I've done my three or four, I think it was four years I had to do, the government would pay for me, direct to me, everything I needed to go to college for three years. Is that system still exist? That's no. very interesting. No. <laughs> now they have to pay a fee. I forget what it is. Typically, the average student pays about 8000 9000 pounds a year. So that's probably about thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000. That is an interesting proposal, though. We do this in America. You know, but he was a lot very, of guys' it, job, they join the military to pay for their education. Yeah. How about we have this branch of public service? Yeah, that'd be a great idea. And then it, yeah, I, I think like there's this. a lot of kids. The who things go to we co- learn from oh, the English. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna make me choke on my coffee on a minute. Now speaking of, because I was born in '66, I'm 10 years behind you. '66. Um, that is a date chiseled into my heart. Uh oh. You know why? You're 10 years old. What happens? Think of uh, what you call what, what we call football. You call soccer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Biggest sporting event in the world. Soccer. What happened? Biggest sporting event in the world. The Brits. Billions. England beat who? England beat West Germany in the final of the World Cup. Is that right? There's never been a greater day in English history. Oh, man. I love how that (laughs) sticks out. So there you go. Well, that's like 80 for us with the Ruzioni and the Americans beating the Russians in the uh, the Olympics for high hockey. I remember that too as well. That was a great game. 
Uh, well, as we can take a flashback to the 60s now, um, what I was going to say is I grew up in the – I became a teenager and became of age a little bit after the whole Beatle thing. Was that a part of your life? Like, because uh, yeah, here you're 12, I, 13, they're hitting big. Yes. No, was I was that like, born in 56, so 63 they're out. I'm seven years of age. Right, but a little no, bit I'm after at, that. I'm at primary school, okay, and we have these student teachers who come in who do kind of movement and dance things. And, of course, what records do they bring in? They bring in the Beatles, the current hits. Get out. And as little boys, to have to dance to She Loves You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh was man, it's creepy. You mean? Th- it was extremely creepy. <laughs> we were all sent to the headmaster's office and whatever, time and time again. I so want to hold those- <laughs> your hand. So it was all like the so cheesy Beatles songs. Yes, a seven-year-old kid. Yeah, so with girls saying- around having to dance like no, there's no way that was going to happen. Yeah, so but was- after that, you're a teenager. It's still late sixties, uh, early seventies. I that- appreciate a lot more now because you just uh, realize what fantastic musicians they were and what fantastic composers. Those but songs- you didn't like sense the vibe. The Stones, the Beatles, the Who. I mean, this is all exploding yeah, while you're a little Yeah, you have to imagine a big family. It's like, well, like my, that my, bro- my brother came back at 63, 64 with what was called a Beatle jacket, yeah. which was a jacket without a collar on it. Okay. And my dad just confiscated it. My dad was Second World War, Army. Well, see, you know. this gives us a feeling for the time. Oh, yeah. So there, you're saying he was, was being rebellious. Yes. I didn't realize that. There That's was, what the Beatles are doing, too. To me, uh, that just looks like stupid clothes back then. But was, they were rebelling against... The long hair, all that sort of going on. It was, as, as a kid observing, you weren't quite sure what was going on in the 60s. Yeah. You had the old conservative view... The, the World War II guys. Yep. Who were They're very conservative. ticked off. They don't like... No, but kids with long hair from being in the army where your hair was shaved every single day or whatever it was, you know... It, Killing Nazis to now look at those unappreciative, yep. entitled, pro Soviet. You know, I mean, the, the, again, again, it's Cold War. Yeah. So we were in that period where, you know, every now and then, every twice a year, I think, we would have to do nuclear uh, what oh, called raid. Get out of here. Jump under the desk and put your hand over your head. And we had no idea what it was about, especially a kid like me who wasn't yeah. really well-versed in the reading right. and whatever. So it was like, you know, it's a strange world. Strange world. So what do you do through your 20s? What are you doing over there in uh, England? Well, uh, eventually I got a degree in psychology and uh, another major in education. Oh, so you do go to college for almost free or free. Yes. You get the free. psychology education. Yeah. The whole time uh, you're like a stud there in, uh, <laughs> in England. Uh, you're not married. There's uh, no I'm kids. I'm going to hit that bell any oh, minute. No, oh, no, no, no. It, it rang itself there. That wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what do you like there? I mean, what, what, what's, what are you doing? <sighs> what am I doing? Um, I have to tell you, the university was uh, a big part. I, I was a bright lad, so I, the, the coursework was never too difficult. Okay. I learned that science was far more difficult, far more work. When I was in my first year at college, I was sitting ne- uh, living next door to an engineering student, pure mechanical engineer. And the amount of work that poor uh, guy uh, had to do, <laughs> you know, I had a few hours to attend a week. And then a lot of it was, you know, studying by yourself or whatever. Maybe a lab once in a while. But Paul, you're, <laughs> it's funny that you say that. I have a daughter and son both majoring in science at colleges now. And they come home and they say, we're getting ripped off. I have all my friends who are majoring in other things. Yeah. And they don't have to do anything. I'm doing labs. I'm doing calculations. I'm up all night. And they're talking in uh, groups about their feelings. Yes. I'm like, listen, you go for what you love. So, yes, I was talking in groups about my feelings, about somebody right. else's feelings. And you, you know, it, 
and, and, and you go for what you love, and maybe it'll pay off in the long run, even with more money. But yes, a lot more well, no, work I, I, in I science. Was in, I was interested in the psychology side. That was kind of thing. I thought, you know, I was always uh, had a thinking kind of mind and right. asking questions about, you know, what things, how they work, dynamics of families sure. and relationships and whatever. Um, and the education side was just, well, just in case it's difficult to get a job, you could always become teaching. Because yeah. male teachings, especially in that middle school to elementary level, were always short. They always were encouraging at that uh, time lots of males to go into it. And it's kind of the baby boomer time, yep. so an yep. explosion of population in the school, so they need teachers. Why don't you stick to it? Did you try it? Oh, did I did. L- no, I, I taught for six years. Okay, so six it's, years. you're in your 20s. <laughs> You're a young stud in England. You're teaching psychology at high school version. Is that what yeah. it is? I uh, know. I'm, I'm teaching everything in English, oh, English right? middle schools and whatever. They would often get you to do maths, history, a little bit of French. I've even done that. So it's oh, so it's not sports. Uh, they always you'd use me for soccer or for cricket or something like oh, that. Oh, so you're so coaching, coaching, you're teaching well. everything. They and, get their money's worth out of us. Sure. <laughs> and then were you were you thinking this is it? My life. I'm loving it. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to. I'm going to, you know, no, retire I, 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 in 30 years. Joe, I've always been a very practical one. Now, teaching has its wonderful aspects. There's nothing better than helping a kid, you know, to overcome, to master some skill, yeah. to be smiling, to enjoy the education process and to go on. You know, sometimes when you see the old kids later in the town when they're four or five years out yeah. of school and they tell you what they're doing and it's just, you yeah. know, and they say nice things about, you know, the class, what I you did. I get that every day now. I love it. I <laughs> love it. But you, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. But, but I'm a, I'm a but. practical guy. I've got calluses on my hands, so I like to do things. So, so you wanted more. So when I was teaching, uh, it was that kind of property boom time in England where, you know, prices were going up. And if you buy a property, three weeks later, you could sell it more. But if you added something to it, if you uh, put an additional bathroom in, tidied it up or did some structural work, Wait a you minute. could sell it more. I smell capitalism. Yes, capitalism is <laughs> there in me. Yeah. I smell greedy, I just, sleazy. I've got to just check my wallet. American <laughs> capitalism. Now, where, where do you think Americans got it from? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Where does it all come from? But we took it and ran with it to a greater extent <laughs> than everybody, right? Yes, absolutely. So you went into a business. You're a landscaper well, guy now. Uh, you're talking about back here in the Euro, good old USA. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm talking about there. So oh. you started there. Well, I, did, I did lots of odd jobs where we were landscaping, helping with my brother's company. They'd have landscape construction. They would put uh, patios in, oh. uh, ponds in, you know, create beds, flower beds, plant lawns and all that stuff. So, and yes, I've done a fair share of that. So then did you have any contact with uh, the U.S.? You know anyone, friends, had, relatives? You'd you say, I want to go there. The only contact my dad said was that one of his relatives, John Barry, uh, was a Bostonian. Yeah. And he was a very famous American chess player. And for one tour, he was coming to England, I think, in 1907, something like that, before the war, I think. And he met one of my dad's relatives, uh, Eddie, who was a jazz musician. All right. And he brought him back to America to live in Boston. But that's it. That's it. So how arrogant of me to think, oh, you had dreams of America. That's stupid for me to say. That's ridiculous. You Did were I, just a guy having a great life. Well, yeah, I tried to, I was kind of more – Australia was more. So oh, okay. the, or New Zealand was kind of a more – What all the, the which criminals is the antipodes, and derelicts? It's the complete opposite of England. If you drill a hole through England, you come out of New Zealand. So, that that's, so that was kind of more of it. But you see, we, we see a lot of American culture on the British TV. You know, I was raised with half British TV, But that's it. American. It was curious. It was curiosity for you. You didn't, yes. you didn't think I want to go there and live there. I had no idea just what a big country it is. I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to guess there's a woman involved. That yeah, there's a woman See, involved. See, it's yes, always... a beautiful woman, yes. <laughs> I hope she's listening, my beautiful, gorgeous wife, Christine. 
hope she there's always got to be a woman involved <laughs> yes, that drags you to something else. Yes. So I was living out, I've been teaching six, seven years in what I call, and a mate of mine, um, Dave French, bless his soul, God knows where he is now, I've got no idea. He's probably either behind bars or he's in some kind of... One uh, of your buddies. Yes, he was a buddy. But uh, anyway, he was came from a very, he's one of his rich English families. Oh, oh yeah, yeah so, see, hanging out with all so the he, high society. <laughs> he invited me to go skiing and I'd never been skiing. My younger brother, uh, John, was the only one who ever went skiing on a school trip. Give me so the state of skiing in, uh, in England. Well, now it's amazing. Uh, most, there are about two million Brits who go to Europe or to America and ski. So it's big. But there's no actual natural snow hill where you could ski in. I was going to say, in England, there is Scotland, no Scotland, there is. Right. But the Scotland, it is so bleak. If you think northern, northeast Pennsylvania is bad in terms of cold, wet, damp. Scotland. Scotland is worse. And I was actually, I was in, just back from Switzerland. Oh, there's and the place I, to I was ski, skiing right? with a, um, an English ski guide, and he's actually an international mountain guide, so he's a very well-qualified guy. And he says, those guys who come out of those Scottish know how to ski because they're skiing all day long on ice. <laughs> they're completely in fog. They're in white-out conditions. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they can do it. So coming to America especially or coming to the Alps, they become fantastic skiers. So this guy says, let's go skiing, and you're not a skier. No, I, don't, I had no he, idea what to expect. He said, it's always a good time. You know, it's kind of a, uh, you know. Where did he want to take you? I don't get it. His Where? family went to Austria, the Tyrol. Yep. Which is basically heading down towards from Europe. We drove down from, you know, London to uh, Dover, catch the ferry, land in Calais, then drive in France, Belgium, and I think into Germany. That's and a long the, trip, right? Down the autobahn. It's about 11 hours once you cross the channel. So you take an 11-hour trip. You're how old? You're in your mid-late 20s. Uh, but yeah, 25, 26. And you're like, I'm going to go skiing. Yes. And then here you meet the woman of your dream. Uh, not the first time, but he invited the second time I did. So, oh, but you're liking skiing at the I, time. This is a new I thing. had no idea what to expect. Absolutely yeah. no idea. So this is a big part of my life now. So here we are. We go down to the basement of this chalet, the family chalet that this guy had. He's kind of a wealthy guy. I guess and all so, the chalet. Were, the, the, all the equipment was everywhere, you know. And the only thing that I could get in were these double leather, you know, kind of double laced boots that you put on, really yeah. old-fashioned, huge pair of skis, and some really old-fashioned, you know, clothing. But I was going up the lift. and It was well, all borrowed stuff. You never skied. No, never skied. Never had the equipment. He said, There's, our, our basement's full of stuff, so there's going to be no problem there. So, yeah, I get kitted out. And he takes me up. The first one is a funicular railway that goes okay. up the side of the slope from a the town. Then you get into a gondola. And going in this gondola, you know, it's all cloudy and it just looks like you can't really see much. But all of a sudden, you break through the clouds into this beautiful alpine, you know, glistening white peaks, jagged rocket peaks up there, blue sky, the postcard. sun streaming it's a down. postcard here. It's a completely different world to grey, dismal, yes. wet, damp, fungal-infested England. <laughs> And then you're in this magic world. But that's just the start of it. You get up there on the top. You get out on your skis. And you, I imagine I formed some kind of wedge. The snowplow effect. And he gave yeah. me – he's a very good skier. And he just gave me a couple of things to come down. And he said, follow this, you know, the signs here, which is probably the easy route. But what I found totally amazing was that you would go from one little stubly, like a little inn in a bar, and they'd have like a glue vine. Or a little snack. I don't know what that is. A glue vine is the kind of spiced wine, mulled wine. Oh, okay, all so right. Then that one, then you'd have this that is what the high society people are doing, <laughs> yeah, I guess, in I England. Don't, I don't know. And it was full of beautiful Europe. women. It's like Ooh. when you're going there, it's like, wow. And you know, it was in the, I forget which years it was, but it was in a time when skiing was fashionable. So they were all, it was high glamour. It was everybody with a little fur trimmed this. Blue sky, sunshine. Yep. Women in fur jackets. <laughs> yes. This is like a dreamland for food, you. Good, good food. Yeah. Booze. What can you say? 
So yes, it was a complete, I was completely converted. I was a hopeless skier. So I managed to get down the hill. The worst thing about skiing is when you're beginning to it all, you look across the slope and you may be the only one on the slope and there's a, a dad with his poor little kid yeah. on the other side and you say, I'm going to avoid that man, I'm going to avoid that little boy. And of course you start looking at them and when you look at them, your, more, your skis automatically follow. Your body follows the line. <laughs> oh, I see. Right, because you twist so, your torso. There I was on this slope. I always remember this. I went steaming into these people across the other side, <laughs> crashed into them. And the amount of expletive in German, which I can't repeat because I have no idea what he was saying, but let's say it wasn't. <laughs> Go ahead, say it. So, all right. I, um, <laughs> no. uh, but anyway, I took some lessons the next day, and we started getting into it. And so yes, you're kind of hooked. Hooked. You meet your wife? No, nope. my wife was three years, about 29 when I met my wife. Oh, so you're, ski, you're, you're, you're a... That you're was a, the first experience that said skiing is good. You're a fluent skier. You, you love it, <laughs> so you keep going back and forth. This is going great. I'm a fluent apres skier. Okay, so all right. The, and then uh, you see this woman, and you follow her down the slope. You pretend that you crash, and you really just fall on her, and you give her a kiss, and you're married. It's, in Brussels. You're, you're getting close. And the rest getting, is history. I, I walked into the Londoner bar in San Johan in Tyrol. It was very crowded, loud music, the usual kind of après ski bar. And there was my wife arm wrestling the Austrian champion on the bar. No. No, she wasn't. She was with her sister. Okay. But she says she made a beeline for me or something like that or whatever. And uh, This is a scene is in a yeah, movie. I, I, I can't, but my wife has it so down pat that I'm not sure what's real okay. and what isn't. So and I can't. You'll have to interview her. Well, she was, she was overwhelmed by the English accent. The traditional good looks, the jawline. Apparently, I, I was very cheeky, and I said, "She said, uh, she said, do you speak, do you speak some English?" And I said, "Probably a little bit better than you do." So that was. I thought she was going to get slapped on that one, but she didn't. So it was a joke, you know. It's just a. <coughs> You're making me laugh, which makes me cough. I love oh, it. I love I hope it. That's not tuberculosis or you anything. Got, no, no. no, no. no I hope it's... Hey, you invented English, right? We just took it from you. But lots of dialects of it. I mean, yeah. you know, one of the things coming to when I came to America here, which is 30 odd years ago, it was in the, the era of Crocodile Dundee and whatever. So they, everybody in every supermarket would say, oh, I love your Australian accent. So, <laughs> so I had to, for about 20 years, I had to sort of tell them that the, the Australian accent is very different from the English one. Now, the English London accent, you talk a bit more like this, Joe. You know yes, I mean? yes, yes, yes. You, you know what I mean? Down the mouth and whatever. But if you put that up your nasal passage, it sounds very Australian. <laughs> You're right. So like basically, that. a lot of Londoners were shipped <laughs> penal colonies out of London with their accent when it slightly migrated up into the nasal passage down there. Well, so, I don't want to get off track, but could you do, because uh, my brain can't wrap itself around this, an American accent. No, I'm terrible. But how... how I'm terrible. What would, you, what would your family say if you said, do an American accent? I mean, no, you got to give me all something. I, all I have to do when I go back to England is say one American word. Like, oh, i got some dirt on my pants. Ah, you're all American. So any use of any American word... Which one down. was it there? Pants? Well, pants. You guys don't say pants, no, trousers. Pants in England are the underpants. Oh, I didn't know that. So these are trousers, yeah. Still, I, I see that as like an old way of talking, but that's how it is. No, some, so some, said, some, some things the Americans have the old and the British change. Some things the British didn't change and the Americans change. So there's a, a good mixture of... But, but, but you're trying to be politically correct. Come on, give me some yes. American stuff that... Come on, give me our lingo. Give me, give me some you don't like... We talk uh, funny. Give me something. Well, it's it, the southern bell, the kind of, you know, the southern female oh, accent. That. That's, well, that's, that's not us, though. I mean, I want some Pennsylvania lingo. No, I like the Pennsylvania accent. Okay, I like good. the Ohio accent and whatever. I have no problem with it. And sometimes, you know, it's always not clicks. I've been here so long and, you know, exposed to both. I listen to the BBC um, radio program at night to put me to sleep. 
So you're getting these voices and things, and it all blends to one. I think it's all part of one. It's just like having a, a, a different accent in England. The American to me is like another English accent. So I don't really see yeah, it Yeah, but like I can that. do you. I can do an, an English accent. You can't do me quick. Why? Because you just sound like normal. I wouldn't be able to do it. Okay, I, I, I think, right. I think you should be sounding like me. Is okay. what I, like maybe I you're not. So it's, a, it's a tricky thing. Tell me how you but, meet you know, your wife sounds, in, the, in the ski lodge. We don't want to get too far off track here. And so she bring, She says, where's she from, by the way? Uh, she's from Texas, Del Rio. So was, she was out vacationing? She was visiting her sister who was in the Air Force Oh, in Germany. And they decided to go down uh, for a weekend to ski in the Austrian Troll. It was a short drive. So by chance, I bumped into her, and by chance, I bumped into her the next day on the ski slopes. And then the courting process is months, years? Oh, we, she went back to America, then she came back to England for a visit once, and we were right. We wrote and wrote. In the days when I could write a nice, decent letter, yeah. get the punctuation right, yeah. make it sound nice. No text? Ah, the text, text has destroyed everything, Free letter, I know. I the romance dot, dot, is dot, gone. Dot, 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 <laughs> don't capitalize. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They're going to get the gist. Yes. So but when, do, when, does she, when, when do you decide to leave is what I'm saying? How, how does that happen? Does she, does she suggest it or when does this transformation No, begin? I was smitten. You were smitten. smitten. You can we admit got on it. so well. Yeah, I, I can't say anything else. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and would you wait. say you're the first man in the history of the universe to be smitten by a woman? <laughs> it's the only experience I've had, Joey. Yeah, no, it's like, <laughs> we've so, all been smitten. We've all well, yes, been. Yes, but you know, I have to say, but I was a 29 year old. Yeah. It's not as if I hadn't you know, been. And there's this beautiful American. Yes. But does she immediately start? I guess, how did it happen, though? How did, how did you leave? Or was it, a tr- was it transitory for a while? I don't know. We talked for a year. We visited. We went on vacations together. And eventually I proposed to her in Ooh. Collingswood, New Jersey, you know, of all places. When you were visiting here? Yep. So you would come here for weeks, days, months? Uh, yeah, a few weeks in the summer. Because being a school teacher, you yeah. have uh, oh, you know, pretty long vacations. Not as and long then, as over here, though. But, uh, you know, okay. six weeks is long for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not the 25 it. weeks you get over here. Or, you propose and you have a game plan. You must think, I'm going to propose, I'm going to marry you. I believe, I'm not going to play dumb here, she's a physician of some sort. Yep. And, and so She was uh, finishing a residency in uh, Thomas Jefferson Hospital. And so, so she, you know there's a nice income and you say, I'll start a business here. And if it doesn't work out, I'll fall back on your income. Yeah, you could say that. Or am I, or am I <laughs> no, doing no, I don't no, know. You're not. You're not uh, no, we, we were comfortable. Well, no, early on we weren't because we have huge debts, yep, like yep. all physicians and whatever. And she wasn't from mm-hmm. uh, a well-to-do family. Oh. So a lot of the view of American physicians is it's like, I'm a doctor, son, you're going to be a doctor. She had to work at guts. Her dad was a plumber. Is that right? Uh, and whatever. And she became very practical and doing things and whatever. But, you know, she's a woman in the 1970s and female mm. uh, surgeons were not particularly appreciated in the all-male uh, right. situation. Yes. So not only you have to work harder and better and prove yourself, it was tough. She's a very tough, driven woman. Cultural revolution. I don't know what Just, I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, happened in the 70s. So then and you're here when? It's, uh, I mean, uh, this is, this 1987 is, we got married. 87. Better, better check the calendar on that one. Get, I get that one wrong all the time. 87, I think. 87, yeah. you get married. You're living in the States. Yep. Is it like within the first few months you're like, oh, now what the hell am I going to do? Are you no, already- America has always been like it's the noise that hits you, especially if you come in the summertime. So you live in England, the birds are chirping. It's kind of sweet and gentle and nice. You come over here, and you've got that kind of cicada siren oh. noise that fills you. And you've got the heavy humidity of, you know, of the yes. you know, Pennsylvania, of a Philadelphia suburb. Yes. So it's like when you go out, you're like parting. 
the air to get somewhere. So oh, is that where you were? So you settled in Philly area? What in Philly was? I taught, actually, I taught in a private school, which is very different from schools I was teaching in England. Get up! So I didn't have a, a public school certification, but they would accept my English um, transcripts. Oh, that's excellent. So I taught excellent. in a, a mainline school, taught very rich kids, taught Good. the kids of uh, Joe, uh, what's his name? Schmidt, the baseball player. Mike? Mike Schmidt. Get out of here, really? Like, oh, yeah. What were they like? Mike Schmidt's daughter was a super kid. Yeah? Absolutely super kid. Mike had a great mustache. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> redhead, I believe, right? I, I, I can't I remember. I think he was a redhead. So, so uh, could you uh, – I, I need to know your feelings, although you're going to be politically correct. Absolutely, Mike. <laughs> On Philadelphia and the States versus the first 30 years of your life. Like what, what was it's, it's a whole different world. A whole different world? A whole different world. It's a different, that, that urban sound of Philadelphia. The fact that there are almost like no-go areas in Philadelphia is co- totally alien to a British person, or a person, the part of Britain I came from. That there are north, uh, very derelict, ghetto-like areas. But you have to remember, <laughs> do you remember the move where Mayor Good dropped the bomb oh, on the yeah, move? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was... No, it, it was. But that, it's that existed as, in as, London, a, as a Brit. No, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. I didn't know no, that. Nothing like that. So the the apparent poverty and wealth are very very clear cut in America. In England, it, it's blended a little bit. Is that more. right? And was that a little shocking for you, or? It is shocking to see people living in such you know yeah. poverty and whatever. Yeah. So it takes a while in that one. The, my wife used to get really annoyed because my, my real concern was how your houses were built. The fact that all American houses are stick-built, whereas in England they're all masonry. They're made of bricks and block and whatever. Yeah, and yours are hundreds <laughs> so and hundreds I, of years I, old. I would and go around like... knocking on house walls just to see if they're hollow or something. So <laughs> I've stopped doing that, thank God. See, these are the things I need to hear from an Englishman. <laughs> but I learned, actually, one of the first things I did was I took a, a masonry course down at Johnson College when we moved up here yeah. to bricklay, to lay brick. Get out of here! Because I was going to build a little addition to our house, a little foundation, to see how they did it. And actually, I quite enjoy it. The Amer- American houses now with the good foundations they build now are fantastic. Yeah. I have no problem. Um, you know. In England, there's, wood is so expensive. So to build timber frame houses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And to know. us, it's just, uh, yeah, two by four, plywood, it's everywhere. Wood everywhere. Trees everywhere, wood yeah. everywhere. Um, the whole queen thing, uh, not the band. I'm talking about the, the royal the family. The monarchy. Am I a why do, I, why really. do I hate that? What's your theory on that? Why, and do most of your people... My, my, my theory is I, I'm not a monarchy. But as long as the monarchy, I'm, I, I'm a, a Democrat. I like the people to run a country. I, I like us I to elect people. I understand it's symbolic. And yes. it's, I understand yeah. all that. But the point is, it's almost like if Americans romanced about plantation slavery in the 1800s. It was wrong and horrible. The monarchy Wh- was wrong someone, and horrible. Someone just by birth. Yes, it's just as wrong and well, horrible. Days, Why do we used, romance? The monarchists used to fight it out. So if you could fight them all out, put them all together in a cage fight, and but see. It, okay. That would now I'm interested. <laughs> that would be no, event. but everything about that is gross. It's human beings yes, at their worst. So you, why is that romanced? I don't understand that. And do your people agree with me, or for the most part, you'd say no, most? No, I think they they will support it at the moment. But you know, it, it, over the years, over the kind of uh, hundreds of years, it's been up and down. Okay. There was a time when Queen Victoria excluded herself, didn't want anything to do with the public, and then uh, everyone turned against her. There was a time when, uh, remember the, the king who resigned or abdicated? Okay. Uh, Edward VIII. Yeah. I remember Wallace hearing Simpson, yes. Married an American. Yes. Yeah, I learned my lesson on that one. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but it turns out now that he was actually almost uh, treasonous in his behavior towards Great Britain. 
he was actually encouraging the Germans to bomb London because the Brits would submit. Oh, man. And then he could be come back as the appointed king. Well, that snobbiness is what's ridiculous. So, yes, you have, I, I am, I'm very wary, just like you, of that, the idea that by birth you have a privilege. Horrible. I think meritocracy is the word I like to have. Yes. People get there because of their hard work and dedication, not by an inheritance. So that's my feeling on that one. Um, so it's 87, 89. We got to fast forward. You're in America. Do you, yep. Are you thinking I'm going to assimilate? I'm going to like this? Or oh, you're, you're not sure. Yeah, now I got myself a big old American car. It's my wife's <laughs> did, grandmother's. Did you really? What yeah, was it? A Dodge Dart, 1963. <laughs> Shift on the uh, column, I think it was. Three gears. And a no, what? 63? No, but this is the late, this is a late n- 80s. Well, no, it was a secondhand car. You got, oh, man. <laughs> so I've got that car to drive to work across Philly. I had to go from New Jersey across the Ben Franklin Bridge up uh, Vine Street and off from wherever it is in these weird little roads. To your... Google Expressway to my yeah, school. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this steering box was so loose, the car would change lane automatically. Now, you can imagine people trying to wake up in the morning. This thing woke me up quicker than anything because I was gripping that steering. It was like a sailor making adjustments to the <laughs> yes. wheel. All right, here we go. Google Expressway. Keep it in that lane there. So it would wake me up, and I was teaching there for a year. My wife qualified, and then let's probably move it on a little bit. Um, she was getting interviews for different positions, um, one in Doylestown, I think, and whatever, and uh, one in Jacksonville, Florida could have been a home. But she but, uh, chooses? Scranton, Pennsylvania, because of Dr. Mori, Gino Mori, who out. had the practice, Mori, Mori, and Preet. He was a general surgeon, but he was so hands-on, wanting to do the new stuff and whatever and bring in uh, – all kinds of new techniques and surgery-wise. She was far impressed. And the other reason, we were only 20 minutes away from Elk Mountain and some school. Oh, man. So, so you, you're, still, you're still close to Philly. You move north. Yeah. You're close to affluent skiing areas. This is it. It's yes. late 80s, early 90s, and this is it, your new life. If you were living in Philadelphia, to take the kids or take the family up, you remember the effort it was to go through the Lehigh Tunnel? Yeah, people you do that get all the time. They come up here to go skiing. But in the old days when there was only one tunnel... You got jammed for like an hour, oh, an hour yeah, and a half yeah, yeah. coming back. So yeah. it, was, it was an absolute nightmare. And you, you, you arrive at the ski resort where everyone else is there, and it was just absolute nightmare. And you could, there's no room to ski or anything like that. So living up here where we could take an afternoon off, but there's no one on the slopes, was absolute bliss. We still, and we've been here 30-odd years. We still did. My wife, in fact, this morning was out snowboarding. So, so you like the skiing. Your wife has a new job. Uh, everything's going good. You're young, handsome, married. And, and you, when does the business start? Soon after? About three, four years out. I was uh, uh, filling and looking around and whatever, filling time. I was doing some tutoring and whatever. But when you uh, first came to yes. Northeastern PA, did you think maybe I'll be a teacher here or that, that's out? I'm going to be I, a businessman now. I did have a Pennsylvania qualification um, for teaching, what do they call it, the certificate? Is that what they call it? Uh, the what? <laughs> when, you got a, when you're qualified to be a Pennsylvania teacher. A certification? Certification. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so I've got that. Oh, yeah, but life. you didn't want to you, – you thought instead you'll go for the uh... – I want to do something practical. I mean, I, as I was saying, I'm a practical person. We restored, built, looked after houses, made some money on the capitalist chain, as you're calling it. And what, <laughs> <laughs> for just surviving, I think. It was, as long as I had some beer money and whatever, then it was <laughs> – so there it is. You're, the business starts. Your wife's a surgeon. Everything's going good. Next thing you know, 16 walks into your life. How does that happen? It happens because, well, the first, the first one I did was with Noreen Clark. Remember Daryl Noreen? Yes. Yeah. My she, sister-in-law. She just wanted to do a gardening uh, uh, segment. Yeah, but how, who found you? I have no idea. Is that I right? I have Someone absolutely just said- no idea. 
But, I, you know, I, I, I was giving lots of talks, kind of, you know, practical oh. things like that. Because I, I, I like teaching. I like showing things. Right, like I, right. I feel proud. If I've done something nice or I've got a nice set of slides and can talk about it, it's kind of a, you know. Yes. People say, oh, are you worried about public speaking? No, it's a, it's a pleasure to get in front of people and talk about something you like. Oh, yeah. Talking about yes. something you don't like is an absolute nightmare. But <laughs> talking about something you like is completely different. So. <laughs> That's that's a very valid point. I can agree. So we bought we bought it actually. It was an old little restaurant property that had been burnt down. The fire. There was a lot of fire damage inside, and they quickly you know drywalled it up to make it look good and whatever. And eventually we extended, got the uh, had a liquor license, so we opened the restaurant later on. Um, but our main aim was to sell lots of different perennials, shrubs, and trees. I'm, I'm a great shrub man, so shrubs I think are the easiest form of gardening. If you do it right and have a shrubbery with no room for weeds to come out, there's no weeding to be done. There's no mulching to be done. What I do with my leaf clippings when I've cut them or whatever or um, grass clippings, I put them under the shrubbery as a mulch. It breaks down. You don't see them. Simple. But perennials Perennials, bloom and die, then there's going to be room for the weeds and a lot of work. So you're saying shrubs over perennials. Yes. Because early spring, early spring, those perennials are coming up the weeds. And you know what the weeds we have in Pennsylvania are pretty aggressive. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a battle. But, you know, some perennials are very aggressive, and then you've got the problem of them spreading too fast. But if you choose shrubs at the front, you know, a little two-foot-by-two-foot two shrub, behind it maybe a little narrow one yeah. or a four-foot-by-four, four, and then a slightly, you know, ten-foot-by-ten, you can make a, a mixed board that's got all kinds of color and flower at different times of year. This sounds and like it's a wonderful. whole different podcast, Shrubbery Talk with Paul Edison. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. But I, I just want to finish with, so... Um, the last 30 years, roughly, you're here, you're a businessman, you're doing your stuff. 16 happens. On TV, you have this natural way, charisma, intelligence. Are we talking about the same person? Fun yeah. factor, <laughs> admirable qualities, admirable. and everything is working, and it's just beautiful. It's, it's, well, what I think people don't realize is they come to visit the garden center on a nice sunny day in spring. Sunny days in summer, and they forget the ice, the misery, the flooding. Yes. And all that hard work. You're working with your bare hands at minus degrees, you know, and it's not. Yeah. Some, it, either you like physical work or you don't. And my, one of my biggest problems now as a business owner is to get kids who've been used to working outside hard. Um, they th- they, first of all, it's like a dream. They, oh, I'm going to be working outside. But then <laughs> they have to do eight hours. And it's like, oh, my <laughs> God. So we started with kids that you do three hours. Four hours, five hours. So trying to get you know high school, college kids to be hard, hard working. You mean like your employees? Yeah. Oh, it's tough. It's tough. Hard it's work tough. is hard to find. Those Americans don't want to work anymore. Those young Americans. So you know what? What do you do? I mean, what do you, well, the, the, what, yeah, I have to tell you this because this I think is fundamental. I knew I wanted to tell you this. I love it. Here we All go. Right? This is this is it, folks. This is it. This is why um, I think American horticulture is on a bit of a slack now. We've made everything far too easy. We've cut away all the chores. We don't want to cut the lawn. We want to have a lawn service in. When we buy a house, we want to have it all looked after, a maintenance crew to come in there. What makes a gardener, someone appreciate the outdoors, is somebody who actually plants something, nurtures something. They may lose one. They may gain one. But somebody who works the soil with their hands has far more affinity with those life processes than anything else. Because you're invested in it. You're invested in it, yeah. You're a part of it. You're not... 
uh, putting on a show for people. It's your no. work. I love it. doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. In England, they tend to have a better stratification of that. They, everybody does it. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. To dig a hole in the ground and plant something is good. Dude, you Here, speak like, oh, of my gonna, language. I'm going to you know, soil my hands doing that. And, you know, but if you don't do it and you don't see that thing go along, that plant develop over the years... You miss it. This is why I love you, Paul. And I'm not just saying that. Keep your that. distance, Joe. I'm <laughs> no. ready with that bell, man. I'm ready with that bell. bell. No, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but I have guys my age, younger, just married. They have average American jobs, not making great money. And I know that they have people clean their homes. Yes. They have people cut their lawn. Yes. I'm like, I don't even, I, it's disgust inside of me. And I don't even know what to say or do. I do all my own stuff. I work two jobs, and I'm not bragging here, but I vacuum, I clean, I dust, I clean toilets. We're physical human beings. We need to work. Yes. So have somebody else do all these chores, which could be great exercise, digging, cutting, whatever, a fantastic exercise. Yes. My GP told me the two healthiest people he meets are gardeners and farmers. Not so many farmers around now, because they do. They work all the time. As soon as you stop working, if you're 60, you're a little bit overweight, and you stop moving, it's a disaster. It's a downhill run. They feel like they can't work around the house no. like you're suggesting because they have to go golfing. <laughs> they have to sit on the cart yes, and be driven it doesn't to make the ball. Sense, Not dude. really exercise. It doesn't make no, sense. In fact, I always say, you know, often I will, when I do one of my talks, as I say, you know, I often when I used to take my kids to sporting events, it's not the kids who should be on the court. It's all the middle-aged people in the stands. In the ble- they should be running around and the kids should be watching them. Are we the same person? We are the same person. I hate going to watch my kids when I had to do that play stuff because yeah. I want to be doing yes. it myself. I, I can't I'm just like sit there. <laughs> oh, man. So, you yeah. got to be a participant in life, not an observer. Yes, absolutely. You're right on there, man. So you're 10 years older than me. What do I have to look forward in 10 years? Because you're very physical and you look great and you're thin, uh, do you have any aches and pains doing all this work always or no? You look great. You feel great. Yeah, but everyone has aches and pains. But yeah. you forget about it. Once you get busy in doing things, you know, it's like um, I've got a, uh, what do you call it, uh, a week ankle. It kind of gives away once in a while. So I put a little strap on it. But you get used to it. Once you strap yourself up and keep on going, it's kind of like that Monty Python scene with the knight. <laughs> oh, somebody else is down. But no, it's, uh, it's just, it's but just no, an no, no. arm. I can yeah. move on. I'm, trying to eat. I'm eating much more healthily now than I ever did. So there's a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruit, too much fruit. I'm, I'm like a, you know, a fruit bat. I, just, I buy every week maybe seven, eight pounds of apples, some tangerines, some oranges. And I'm the only person in the house who eats them. So within four or five days, they're gone. So I can eat three or four apples right? a day, four oranges a day. I'm just terrible like that. But. You can do what I do. Just get gigantic gallons of low-sodium V8 and just drink that all day long. <laughs> That's what I do. Then you don't have to stop to eat. Oh, I like you that. Just I, li- keep I like the texture. Oh, you, you like know, the texture? I, yeah, I don't want a blended stuff on one of Well, um, how about in uh, the next few weeks, you give up skiing and you start mountain biking with me. We're new mountain biking buddies. Are you a biker? Uh, cracked collarbone, oh, yeah. okay, AC it. joint, <laughs> whatever. Right. No, I have to be careful on that. At least when you fall on snow, it's usually soft and you slide a bit. I did actually gotcha. take, I, I went up to Killington and took a mountain bike course. So I'm ready. I can. I'll give you the course for free. Come on. <laughs> I got to ask you this. This is the last thing. Give us some dirt on Jackie Lewandowski. You work with her every week. Come on. We say goodbye with Jackie My Dirt. Are sealed. Come on. No, I can't talk. She's <laughs> a raving B word. Give yeah. us something. <laughs> I just made that up. So as soon as I say Jackie, I get this sharp pain in the neck, and that's it. So it tells me just to say nice things. Jackie is a super She host. really is. I love her. Yeah, I'm just she's kidding. She's a fun, a fun girl to be with. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what's the next show about? What's your next duty? Uh, yesterday, 
I made a little tree light. You know, there's little lights that are trees that are kind of have little lights along the branches. Little tiny lights. Tiny. Yes, I have these one new in my lights bathroom. Are absolutely fantastic because you can wrap them around. You can make the tree into any shape you like. So I, I've got a little do-it-yourself. Simple little project to do to make yourself a little baby tree. And that's coming up this weekend on uh, Home and Backyard. Yeah, he was there yesterday, so hopefully he'll get his act together. Check out this and many of his other suggestions. I thank you for coming in, Big Daddy. Ah, Joe, an absolute pleasure, Uh Oh No, you don't want to touch my hand because I'm transmitting bronchitis, (laughs) perhaps. Shoulder kick. You're right. There he is. Elbow to elbow. Oh, I hit the the bell. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity.